0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Truth Be Told. I really appreciate you all listening in. I am privileged to be speaking with Dr. Frank Turek today. Dr. Turek is an apologist and also a speaker and author someone that I've been following for a number of years. So I'm really, really excited to get to speak with him today. Dr. Turek, how are you doing today? Great, Micah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. So when I first started doing this whole project, um, I have a friend named Noah that... Mm-hmm reached out to me and said, hey man, you should talk to Frank Turek. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, I'll I'll do that at some point. I'll put it on my list, thinking there's no way I'm ever going to get to talk with Frank Turek, you know? Why not? And then you reach out and, I don't know, I just, it's awesome. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about apologetics, but maybe not in the typical fashion that people are used to. Rather than going through specific sets of apologetics, we're going to be actually doing a defense for apologetics itself. So I hope that uh, is interesting to people. I think sometimes um, people are actually more harsh towards apologetics than they are the apologetics themselves. You know, just the, the study of apologetics seems to be under some fire, at least from uh, skeptics and atheists, but also from the other side. And so we're going to kind of be going through uh, why a Christian should look into this study or, or why this discipline is important. So first to get started, I'd like to start off by um, kind of going over some basic terms. While most people are probably generally familiar, um, I think it's, it's good to go over terms just so we have a, the same working definition. So what is apologetics? Uh, where does the discipline come from, um, biblically speaking, or kind of how has it evolved to what we see today?
1: Well, it really means to give a reason for the hope that you have, to give evidence, to make a case. The word in Greek is apologia, which is used in 1 Peter 3.15, always ready to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have. And the scriptures talk a lot about evidence, that you ought to have evidence for what you believe. You ought to destroy arguments that are against the Christian faith, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, I'm set in defense of the gospel in Philippians 1. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Isaiah says, you know, come let us reason together, uh, speaking for God there, God speaking through Isaiah. So there are many places in the scriptures that say you ought to have evidence for what you believe, but it just makes sense on a practical level, Mike. I mean, why should you be a Christian and not a Muslim or not an atheist or not a Hindu or something else, right? or just somebody that is just apathetic. Why Why care at all? And one of the reasons you ought to care is if Christianity is true, it's the most important fact in the, in the universe. If it's not true, it's irrelevant. C.S. Lewis famously said that, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, Christianity is either of infinite importance or of no importance. What it can't be is moderately important. Look, if it's true there is a God, and he came to earth to save us, and We're dead in in our in our moral transgressions, and we're going to be punished unless we accept his free gift of salvation. So we can not only be with him, but our similarly saved loved ones. If that's really true, that's the most important fact in history, or to anyone. If it's not true, it's irrelevant. It just can't be moderately true. Ah, maybe, you know, eh, maybe I'll get around to looking at it. No, if it's either it's either of eternity is of infinite importance. Or if there's no eternity, it's of no importance. So that's basically why we ought to be involved in apologetics. We ought to give evidence for what we believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it's either true or it's not, whether you have found that out for yourself or not. That's right. right. That's
1: why everyone needs to look into
0: it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So often uh, apologetics are done by Christians against skeptics, at least Christian apologetics. You can do apologetics probably for a number of different things. Mm Um, but I'm always curious why it is you think skeptics seem to be so against this discipline of apologetics. I've listened to a number of debates, and it seems like every time I leave a debate listening to it, I think, wow, I've gained a lot of respect for the opposition. You know, I don't agree with maybe their premises, but mm-hmm. I agree with the logical flow of their argument. Though they started off wrong, I see where they went with it, and I gain a lot of respect for their their viewpoint. It seems like that doesn't happen as often on the other side. Can you explain maybe why that would be?
1: I found that actually the people that I've debated, you know, Christopher Hitchens and was probably the most famous. He never even knew what apologetics was, hardly. You know, he would he would say, well, do you believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection? And Christians would say yes. And he'd go, I rest my case as if it was just impossible for anyone to give evidence that such things could occur, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he thought it was completely a faith position in the sense that, that you had no evidence behind it. It was blind. And Richard Dawkins, the same thing. He doesn't seem to realize that there's this whole historic discipline, particularly in Christian circles, and even in Muslim circles, by the way. I mean, there, there's been Muslim apologists, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh People out there trying to point out that their worldview is true. He doesn't seem to re- recognize the rich history that Christianity, in particular, has had on this, and he just kinds kinds of dismisses it. In fact, in his book *The God Delusion*, his take on Aquinas was so misinformed and so atrocious. You go, he he doesn't even know what Aquinas is saying, much less trying to refute him. Uh, you know, Thomas Aquinas lived in the 1200s AD, probably most systematic Christian thinker of all time, other than the Apostle Paul himself uh you know wrote volumes and volumes about evidence for the existence of god and 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 Dawkins can't even be bothered enough to read what he said much less try and respond to it in any coherent way so i've actually found that most people that i've debated first of all haven't even read the books that i've written mm-hmm. uh, there's only one exception jeffrey lauder did but other than that they haven't even read them it's like they they don't have any respect for it at all either they don't know it exists or they don't care to even look into it but to not even you know, to not even read, and then have a debate on on what your opponent thinks is 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 the height of disrespect and the, and the height of uh, I think also arrogance and um uh, I guess it's a lack of curiosity. I mean, mm-hmm. why would you debate somebody on a topic without knowing what their position is? Right why they hold it you know I don't really debate people that haven't written anything because I want to know what they believe before I debate them I want I want to know their position uh, so it seems odd to me that atheists if they're going to debate the existence of God they ought to at least know what their opponent means and what and, and why he holds that position
0: yeah so it seems like they're so up, just opposed to the theology that they don't even bother to get into the apologetics itself, because there's such a a disdain for maybe the people or um, the theology, or even maybe the history that they deem as Christian history, where certain atrocities were done under Christian banners, you know, and they say, okay, well, evil came from Christian people, so I just won't listen to it. But then that stops them from even actually getting into or dialoguing with the defense of it.
1: Yeah, well, it presupposes a moral standard when they say that, and this is the problem I had with Hitchens' approach, you know, God is not great how religion poisons everything. What do you mean by poisons? What what standard are you using to say religion's evil? And as I said in my debate with him, I said, Christopher, I can agree with much of what your book says. Christians have done evil, but you're sort of proving our worldview when you say that, right? If we hadn't done evil, why would we need a savior? We wouldn't, right? Right. The only reason we need a savior is because we are fallen creatures. And in your worldview, atheism, there's no standard by which to judge anything good or bad, right or wrong, just or unjust. It's just your opinion. So he's presupposing God. He's stealing from God while he's arguing against him, which was the subject of a book I wrote after I debated him. Stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. So. Uh, and I, I think there's something else going on here, Micah. This is why I normally ask atheists this question. And the question is, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And uh, most of the time, the answer is no, or there's a long hesitation, because it's not really a head problem they have with Christianity. It's a hard problem. They don't want it to be true. They don't want there to be a God. Why? Because they want to be God of their own lives, And if God exists, it's going to get in the way of what they want to do. They don't want they don't want moral accountability. They want to do their own thing. And many atheists have admitted this. I mean, Thomas Nagel, a very famous philosophical atheist from NYU said, it's not just that I don't believe in God. He said, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be that way. He said, one of the biggest problems I have is some of the most intelligent people I know are religious believers. He says, but I have a cosmic authority problem. I don't want God to exist. (laughs) And he says, I think Hitchens and, and Dawkins, and he wrote that when Hitchens was still alive, have the same problem. They don't want it to be true. Now, wanting or not wanting something to be true isn't an argument for or against it. I'm just right. pointing out that sometimes the motivation that people have can tell you how curious they are about a particular topic. And uh, if you don't want Christianity to be true, in fact, Christopher Hitchens called himself an anti-theist, not an atheist, anti. He doesn't want God to exist, Right. right. So he's not really open to evidence for God. He just wants to shut all that talk down.
0: And that's what I'm amazed by every time I listen to these debates is it seems as if the Christian is willing to strip away their desire for God to be true, right? I mean, I wish God were true and I believe that God is is real, but I'm willing to strip away so much of what I believe to get down to just the logical argumentation for it, you know, set aside my bias And it doesn't really seem like it, you know, the same grace is given on the other side. So it's kind of, it can be frustrating to listen to those debates. But again, sometimes I think it's worth it because I actually come away at least thinking, okay, I know maybe how to approach someone who believes something like that, or I understand Mm -hmm. their argumentation a little bit better. So Mm -hmm. I still think beneficial, but so aside from skeptics and atheists, then, um, a lot of the most vehement people against apologetics are actually Christians themselves. And they'll cite things like, well, you can't argue someone into the kingdom. Apologetics is a man-made discipline. You know, it's, it goes back to the Greeks and the Romans, and it's more of a pagan thought process. Or even just, it doesn't really work. There's no proof that it works. So have you come across any of these arguments in uh, your interactions with people as an apologist? And how do you respond? Yeah,
1: when people give you arguments that they ought not be using arguments, you might want to stop them and say, wait a minute, you're using arguments to say I ought not be using arguments? That seems to be a self-defeating position to me, which it is. Uh, Secondly, uh, as I already mentioned, there there are uh, commands in the Bible to use arguments to get evidence, to get reasons for the hope that you have. Thirdly, even Jesus himself. Jesus himself is an evidentialist. Do you remember when uh, John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod and he's having doubts in prison and he sends an emissary to Jesus and he says to Jesus, hey, are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And what does Jesus say? Well, he he says, you go tell John to stop asking questions and just have more faith. No, He doesn't say that. (laughs) What does he say? He says, look at the signs. Look at the evidence. People are healed. The, 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 The dead are risen, you know. He's basically saying, look at the evidence and that will tell you that I am truly the Messiah. Okay, Mm -hmm. so evidence is necessary. And it is important to point out there's a distinction between belief that and belief in right belief that is getting evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the New Testament documents are telling us the truth. But all the belief that in the world won't get your moral transgressions forgiven for that. You got to go from belief that to belief in or trust in right? Look, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called? James. Oh, good. You're sharp today, Michael. Okay. James says even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble, right? I mean, demons know intellectually better than we do that God exists, but they're not, they don't have their moral transgressions forgiven because they're in a realm where they've made their choice and they, they can't be redeemed, but they know intellectually better than we do mm-hmm. that God exists, But they don't move from belief that to belief in. Belief that is just of the head. Belief in is not only of the head, but of the heart. And so we know this in relationships. For example, when I first met my wife 37 years ago, I got evidence that she would be a good wife, but all the evidence in the world didn't make her my wife. I had to take a step of trust in her to ask her to be my wife. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, she said yes. (laughs) See, that's the difference between belief that and belief in. God isn't talking about just believe that I exist. Demons know that. Everybody intuitively knows there's some kind of creator God just by what has been made, as Paul says in Romans 1. But not everybody goes from belief that to trust in. God just doesn't want your intellectual assent. He wants you to freely have a relationship with him and accept what he's done. He wants to have a love relationship, not just an academic acquiescence relationship. Oh, yeah, this guy knows I exist. Well, big deal. Who cares? If you don't want him now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So, Apologetics doesn't get you to belief in apologetics; it just gives you belief that, okay, just evidence that it's true, and that's important. But it doesn't take you all the way there. And to, to wrap this section up, we get verbal testimonies and written testimonies, and people telling us all the time that our our books or our videos—you know—I have a whole team of people putting out videos. Um, they have helped them either become Christians or have prevented them from leaving the faith. So for people to say it doesn't work, it does, actually. Now, it might not be important to everyone, but
0: that doesn't mean it's not important to many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that belief in and belief that, that distinction is really important because, it's even, I gave a message a little while ago about the difference between belief and faith, which is essentially what you're talking about here. And one should lead to another, right? But it doesn't mean that it causes another. No, um, it doesn't. It's like, you could know somebody could make a
1: good spouse, but that doesn't mean you're going to ask her to marry you.
0: Right. Right.
1: There, that's. A, there's a difference there. Yeah. Belief that and belief in.
0: Yeah, like stepping stones one to another, but not not correlated by causation necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. I think a lot of people, when they, I think a lot of Christians specifically, when they seem opposed to apologetics, I think they're primarily afraid, at least in my experience, they're primarily afraid of stepping outside of biblical source material, or they don't know where to look for uh, something that's accurate. You know, they don't know how to judge a source and say, Okay, I've stepped outside of the Bible now, or let's say I'm proving the resurrection of Christ or the existence of Christ, and I've looked at Tertullian or you know some ancient writer. I think people are often afraid of using outside sources. Would you have any advice for those people?
1: Yeah, the problem is is that Paul is using outside sources when he says in Romans one that God's invisible qualities and divine attributes are clearly seen from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. In other words, God has written two sources of information to us. Yes, he's written the Bible, but before he wrote the Bible, he wrote the book of nature. This is called natural revelation or general revelation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a God before you ever pick up the scriptures. You just don't know if it's Jesus or not, right? You need The scriptures for that, you're not going to get saved without knowledge of the scriptures. You need to know that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, However, um, you know that God exists, and that He's a moral God because the moral law is written on your heart. This is all called natural theology. In fact, when people say, "Tell, ask me," you know, "How do you know that God exists?" I said, "I know. I know God by His effects." because I'm reasoning from effect back to cause. Mm -hmm. So if creation is an effect, and it is, I'm reasoning back to a cause, a creator. If design is an effect, and it is, I'm reasoning back to a cause, a designer. If there's a moral law written on my heart that tells me ultimate right and wrong, if that's an effect, and it is, I'm reasoning back to a moral law giver. If I have the capacity to know certain things outside of my skull to draw true conclusions about the real world out there, in other words, I have a mind that can reason, and there are these laws of logic out there, then I'm reasoning back to the, to, that's the effect, I'm reasoning back to a cause, a great mind. In fact, our minds are made in the image of the great mind. That's why we can know things outside of our skulls. And when you look at then the evidence for, for Jesus and the resurrection and Old Testament prophecy and all those things, those are all effects, and you reason back to a cause, God. In fact, Anybody watching us right now, if you've ever had any kind of spiritual experience at all, you're saying that's an effect that points back to God. So you're always reasoning from effect back to cause. And when you add all those attributes up from what we we kind of went through, the argument for the beginning of the universe, the design of the universe and morality and and uh, the argument from. Transcendentals, the mind, and all this thing. When you add all those natural law arguments up, you get a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent, moral creator who created and sustains all things. You haven't even opened the Bible yet. And you know there's a God like the Bible out there. You just don't know if he's Jesus. And for that, then you got to look at the historical data and see if Jesus rose from the dead. So everybody is using evidence from outside the Bible. In fact, you couldn't understand the Bible without things from outside the Bible. For example, you couldn't understand what the Bible said unless you knew language, right? Unless you knew grammar. Uh, In fact, if you, let's just take the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that verse assume you know? It assumes you know what a beginning is. It assumes you know that cause and effect are in existence somehow, that certain things cause other things, It assumes, you know, some idea of God, like he's some great cause, some being that can make things happen. Right. Mm -hmm. It assumes all that before you even start reading the text.
0: Right.
1: So this is in philosophy and, and really in theology. This is called prolegomena, which means what you have to do before you even get to the Bible, before you things you have to know before you can even do theology. You have to know grammar. You have to know logic. You have to know. Uh, cause and effect. You have to know aspects of creation. You have to have some idea of what God is, just a basic idea that he's some kind of being that can make things happen, right? These are are all things that are presupposed by the scriptures. And uh, this this is part of natural revelation, also called general revelation. And as I say, in theology, this is called prolegomena. It's before you even look at the Bible, you need to know these things are true and exist.
0: That's a really good point. You're, you're your own source outside of the Bible, you know, your own mind, your own Mm -hmm. intellect. That's, that's really important to know. And I also Mm -hmm. think it can come from people misunderstanding, even just the term, the Bible, because in Jesus's time, there wasn't a new Testament for them to rely on. You know, there were things that Christ expounded to them that were written down that we know now as the new Testament, but he showed them things that, yeah, some were fulfilled prophecy, obviously, but He testified of himself and said, I expect you to look at what I'm doing and recognize that these are qualities the Messiah has and recognize that these are qualities that that make me divine and then believe and trust in me. So they didn't have some of the New Testament or even the Gospels. They were living the Gospels, but that was extra biblical, uh, extra biblical at that time anyways. So I think that's we,
1: We like to point out that there were thousands of Christians before a line of the New Testament was ever written.
0: Right.
1: Why? Because they witnessed a resurrected Jesus. Christianity did not originate with a book. Christianity originated with an event, the resurrection. So long before there were any New Testament documents, there were already Christians because they had witnessed a miracle known as the resurrection and of course witnessed other miracles Jesus did. And they, they finally put two and two together and realized he is God and he is the Messiah. And then they later wrote it down. So, Christians became Christians by an event, not a book. Right. Now, thankfully, they wrote it down so we could know about it and we could orient our lives according to it. But it would have been true even if they had never written it down.
0: Right. Absolutely. Man, that's such a good point. I'm I'm really glad. I've I've never heard that uh, explanation before. That kind of we're our own source. I think that's really really important.
1: But I, I would be careful about saying we're our own source. It's not like, um we are the standard. It means that we right. have the capacity to recognize the standard.
0: Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm not the authority, but yeah. I do utilize my own faculties to, yes. you know, which are outside of the Bible. Right.
1: You're utilizing your own faculties because God has given you those faculties. Right. And then you're using them to recognize truths outside of you that are uh, about the real
0: world that help right. you understand what the Bible says. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to move now to um, liberal or deconstructionist theology. This is kind of running rampant right now. And I think there are there are good people that ascribe to it. Um, but it seems to be making a lot of headway against the idea of correct thinking. And I want to go over, there's this book that I read, The Sin of Certainty by Peter Enns. I thought it was actually a really good book. I looked into it in order to Uh, refute it honestly to see you know I knew he was a more liberal thinking theologian and I thought okay I want to know what this kind of person thinks and so I I read it and I actually ended up agreeing with a lot of it Um, but he writes this in his book he says correct thinking provides a sense of certainty without it we fear that faith is on life support at best dead and buried at worst and who wants a dead or dying faith then he goes on to say, preoccupation with correct thinking, that's the deeper problem. It reduces the life of faith to sentry duty, a 24-7 task of pacing the ramparts and scanning the horizon to fend off incorrect thinking. So in this, he's he's really attacking this idea of correct thinking being um, something we rely too much on, you know, and I think that he makes a good point in the sense that there are things about God that we can't uh, necessarily comprehend. And there are things that we might not understand right away that we have to, you know, trust that we can understand later as we look further and further in. But something like that could really, I think, lead someone into thinking, okay, well, I don't really have to know anything for certain as long as I have, you know, this, this metaphysical trust in God that even necessarily isn't uh visible or isn't a part of my actions but it's just in my heart i trust in god well how would you respond to a quote like that well what's the very first sentence in that quote again correct thinking provides a sense of certainty is he certain about that yeah he's he is. yeah yeah
1: you see what he's doing is he is sawing off the branch upon which he sits now, I'm I'm not saying there's no truth in what he's saying. Yeah. I think there is some truth in what he's saying. And I haven't read Peter's book, so to be fair, I, I don't I don't know the whole context of sure. it, but I know generally where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, biggest sins in so-called progressive Christianity is being certain about anything. Uh, it's as if doubt is venerated, doubt is a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the entire quote that you read would completely contradict what the scriptures say. Because what is Paul doing over and over again? Watch your doctrine closely, right? Uh, Paul on six occasions, or let me put it another way, Paul names at least six false teachers in his writings. Stay away from so-and-so. Stay away from this guy. Stay away from Alexander the metalsmith. Stay away from this guy. Why? Because they're teaching false doctrine. Paul even has to correct Peter in the book of Galatians because he's not behaving properly. Hmm. So if we're going to say that doctrine isn't important and we can just go believe whatever we want, then we're completely contradicting scripture. And number two, that's a doctrine itself, right? Doctrine isn't important. Oh, is that your doctrine? Doctrine isn't important. Okay, we can just say and do whatever we want. Now, I do agree with him. You don't have to be 100% certain. In fact, we're 100% certain of very few things. But we can be certain beyond a reasonable doubt. Look, I'm, I'm not certain that this house isn't going to fall in on me. I'm at my son's house right now in Oklahoma visiting the grandkids. And this, this whole thing could just fall in on me right now. But I'm living as if it won't, right? You're not certain when you get in the car, you're going to make it home or make it to your destination, You're not certain when you go through a green light, somebody isn't going to run it on the other way and, you know, T-bone you. You're not certain, but you live life knowing I'm probably I probably I'm certain beyond a reasonable doubt, not beyond all doubt. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's the way we live yeah, we're not God. We don't know everything completely or absolutely, but we know things well enough to draw conclusions. And it seems like Peter ends there is certain enough of what he's saying to say you ought not be certain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, why is he certain about his doctrine, but you can't be certain about yours? Right. right? Yeah. You see, that's the problem.
0: Yeah, your ability to flip the question back on someone is incredible. And I think it's it's not meant to be Um, like a one-upsmanship thing it's just a logical question of okay well you say that certainty can be harmful to a christian and i say are you certain about that it's just it's just a question that Mm -hmm. naturally flows from the conversation well yeah the problem though is is that there are essentials
1: of the faith that we can't budge on And we've done enough research after 2000 years to know that these facts about God are true facts. Right. And we shouldn't doubt them. I E God exists. Right. And you are not him. Right. Uh, We're all sinners and we need a savior. Jesus came, died and rose again to prove he was God. And by trusting in him, you can have your sins forgiven. He's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Right. I mean, these are all essentials of the faith. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Many in the progressive Christian movement, in my view, by the way, Micah, they're not progressive and they're not Christian. Why? Because if you're disagreeing with Jesus, you're not progressing, you're regressing. Right. And if you're disagreeing with Jesus, why would you call yourself a Christian? Right? That, that's the whole point. Yeah. Okay? To be a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. So we, we can be certain beyond a reasonable doubt of the essentials of the faith. Mm-hmm. Secondary issues, however, Sure. You know, we can debate those. We can debate the age of the earth. We can debate eschatology. We can sure. debate the degree of predestination versus free will. We can debate mode of baptism. We can debate all that stuff, right? Uh, and, and we can still remain Christians even though we disagree on some of those issues. But Paul and Jesus going after the Pharisees, right? He goes after these people because they're teaching false doctrine. He goes after, he says, you're tithing your spices, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. By the way, he's going after the politicians there who also were theological leaders, the Pharisees. And he's saying that you're, you're missing the big picture. You're, you're, you're doing these small things and you're ignoring these big things. So he is, he is excoriating them for false teaching and false behavior. And we have to do the same thing. We have to be sentries. We have to be watchdogs. We have to be sheepdogs. Why? Because there's a lot of sheep out there. If we don't, if we don't bark the wolves off, they're going to get taken out. Right. And so basically what Peter N seems to be saying is we ought to let our guard down and let people devour the flock. (laughs) Sorry. That's not Christianity. We ought not be doing that. Now, I say that advisedly because I I haven't read his whole book, and I'm sure Sure. he makes good points in there. Yeah. But these absolutist points that it's it's wrong to be certain defeats itself because he seems to be certain of
0: that. I think the overall point um, was kind of absolutist, but I think some of the individual points, like he brought up Job. If Job had been reliant on God treating him well um, with his good works, then essentially he could have been broken in his faith when suddenly he has all this trial come upon him. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a good point. Like you have to have faith that God is good, despite all of those things. So you don't have to be certain that God must work in this way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, everything I know about him is thrown out the window. But I think the overall point of certainty being an issue, I think is, is not a good one. And I think C.S. Lewis really, said it really well in The Poison of Subjectivism. He said, correct thinking will not make good men out of bad ones, but a purely theoretical error may remove ordinary checks to evil and deprive good intentions of their natural support. I really love that quote because I think it balances it out really, really well. You know, correct thinking, apologetics, if you prove like this this way of life is true and you have that belief that it doesn't make you believe in right but you gotta gotta take a step of faith a step of trust is the better word right i just have one last question for you i would just love if you could share some tips with our listeners on uh how to be an effective apologist i think peter puts it he says that you it's not just enough to give a defense but you have to give a defense in a certain way you know you have to show love towards others you have to um not just be intellectually sound but not be arrogant in your approach so how can how can we be effective apologists
1: well first of all get good at logic okay turning the claim on itself which is what we were just doing there talking about how are you certain you ought not be certain right it's like when people say there's no truth is that true just ask questions back you don't have to be unkind but you want to ask questions to get people thinking so that's number one you've got to know basic logic Number two, I would say, if you're going to defend Christianity, don't split every hair. As, as I just mentioned, stay on the big issues, not the secondary issues. Uh, don't make your ministry about the age of the earth or about end times or about, you know, uh, how Christians view predestination free will. Unless you're ministering to just Christians, that's fine. But if you're going after the world, that, those, those aren't the issues. The, the the four issues that we focus on focus in are: does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament reliable enough to let us know about the resurrection? Did that really happen? Because if the resurrection occurred, Christianity's true. If it's not, if it didn't occur, then it's false, even as Paul says. And then it it turns out that we get questions, objections to this view that Christianity's true, Micah, in four areas. They all begin with the letter E. Evolution, ethics, eternity, and evil. Evolution, ethics, eternity, and evil. And the kind of questions we get, people can find in the cross-examined app because we have a quick answer section in there. So if you go to the app store and type in two words, cross Examined, you'll see answers to the questions that we get in those four areas, evolution, ethics, eternity, and evil. So know those four questions, does truth exist, does God exist, are miracles possible, New Testament reliable, and then be able to answer objections in ethics, evil, evolution, and eternity.
0: Awesome. That is such a great answer. And I'm really glad that you added cross examine in there because I was just about to say, um, I really hope people will check out your books as well as cross-examine. Is there anything else that you'd like to direct people towards? Yeah, uh, check out our podcast. It's called I Don't Have Enough Faith
1: to Be an Atheist. The podcast is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, we have the book by the same name. We have a brand new book that young people might really like called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Uh, if you want to get apologetics and biblical life, life lessons by watching movies, that's what we do in there. Uh, we take some of the biggest blockbusters of the day, my son and I did, uh, many of the superhero and fantasy movies, so you can check that out.
0: Uh, but just go to crossexamine.org. Everything is linked from there awesome thank you very much that sounds really interesting actually because i've noticed the more and more i get into theology and apologetics the more i seem to see it everywhere you know the biblical story seems to be written into everything so that's right well dr Trey, thank you so much for coming on the show it has been incredible i've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, it just means a lot that you take the time to be with us here thank you micah thank you for having me on god bless absolutely you too And thank you all for listening. Really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thanks, everyone.